Okay, we'll read from the first seven verses in Zechariah. Um, Zechariah 14, 1 to 7. Zechariah is almost in the middle between the Old and New Testament, right before Malachi. Verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the spoil shall be divided into the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses riffled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he had fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall remove, shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach into Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. You can be seated. Blessing, Joe. Good morning. As many of you know, I've been preaching on end-time events. As you all know, every single day we are moving closer and closer to that time. And while we do not know when he will return, I and many of us would say that it's right around the corner. To some people, that is exciting news. And we will look forward to that time. We are anxiously waiting. To others, they mock and scoff and ask, where is the promise of his coming? For since the father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And to some other people, it may be a fearful thing because they are not ready. They keep putting off salvation, saying, not, not today, I'll do it tomorrow. My desire in preaching this is to get us excited and longing for this day were also to lead us to repentance. The last time I preached here, I started preaching about the second coming when Jesus comes to the earth. And when he comes to the earth to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and to bring judgment. I had said that this will probably take a couple of sermons to cover this day when Jesus comes. The last time that I preach here, we talked about things leading up to this day. So just a little review of what we talked about last time. We talked about how Jesus will come suddenly to the earth in one day. We also talked about how the earth is in utter chaos because of earthquakes, wars, and of the Antichrist control of the earth. We also talked a little bit about the great battle of Armageddon. We talked about the location of it in the valley of Megiddo. 
which is in the northern part of Israel. And is also, we talked about that God was the one who brought the armies together. Um, first, we see that the, he did that through the drying up of the Euphrates River. Another way that he brought them together is through the deceiving the kings of the nations to go to battle by three unclean spirits. We see that in Revelation. Another way that he brought them is by God putting hooks in the jaws, as it says in Ezekiel. God is the one who brings the armies together. And who again are these armies fighting against? They are fighting against God. Satan and the Antichrist, who is trying to take control of the earth, is trying to prevent Jesus from setting up his kingdom here on the earth. Also, they are fighting against the people of God, the Jews, God's chosen people. They will want to wipe them off the map. They will want to wipe Israel off the map. Going into the sermon this morning, I want to continue on speaking about the second coming, but zero in on the deliverance of Israel. This morning, I want to talk about how Jesus will come down at just the right time to save the Jews. How God will, not, how God will save them, not only from complete destruction, but also how God will cleanse them from all their sins and how the Jews will repent. All through the Jewish history, ever since it began with, when God called Abraham and set him up and set him apart as a chosen nation, Satan, in different periods of time, tried to wipe them off, to destroy them. He, de- he tried to destroy and mess up the messianic seed so that Jesus couldn't come and be our Savior, so that Jesus couldn't come and set up his kingdom here on the earth. When Jesus was resurrected, the plan filled for Satan so, that, so he went after God's people, the church and the Jews. Some of those times when Satan, where Satan tried to destroy God's people were at the, time, at the time of Pharaoh in Egypt. Another one is at the time of Esther when Haman tried to have the Jews exterminated. Another time is in 70 A.D., when the Romans wiped out the city of Jerusalem. Also, in the time of Hitler, when he killed six million Jews. And I'm sure there's other times where Satan tried to wipe them out that I didn't say. But what happened every single time? We still have Jews today, don't we? God delivered them. And because of that, the Jews celebrated by having a holiday. The Passover started because of their deliverance from Pharaoh. The Feast of Purim came about when God delivered the Jews from Haman. Hanukkah is celebrated by the Jews because of their deliverance from the Greeks, from the Greek rulers before the birth of Jesus. And while a lot of Jews died from Hitler, God spared them. And now they have a Holocaust Memorial Day to remember those who died under Hitler. In all these cases, their deliverance happened because of God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis. How God will give to Abraham and his seed, the land of Israel, forever. 
In fact, in, in Leviticus 26, 44 to 45, it says, And yet, for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sakes, remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. The Jews will always be God's people, God's special people. And in the AD, the Jews talk about the and shall Jerusalem until nations and the Gentiles will trample them down or trample down Jerusalem. But now, in today's day, we see them moving back to the land, the place where God promised to Abraham and his seed forever. From the time that Israel became a nation back in 1948, they had a Jewish population of only 650,000. Jews. In 2020, it is now up to over 6 million. So why do the Jews need to be in the inner land before the tribulation? Well, that is where the battle of Armageddon will take place, and it will be against the Jews. And that is also a place where Jesus will come back to set up his earthly kingdom, and the Jews play a huge part in his earthly kingdom. The Bible tells us in many different places that they will move back into their land. And I'm going to read some of those verses. In Deuteronomy 30, 3 to 5, it says, That when the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee, if any of thine be driven out unto the out outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. Another one in Jeremiah 30, verse 3 says, For the lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the Captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And another one is Ezekiel 37, 11, 12, and this is talking about the valley of dry bones. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, all my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. There are many more places in the Bible where it talks about them moving back to their land. I want to again continue on a little bit about the Battle of Armageddon and... Um, how it affects the Jews. Like I said, it is God that gathers the nations together to come against Jerusalem and the land of Israel. I, I believe also the rulers of the nations have greed. They want what Israel has. 
Ezekiel 38, 12, it says, is to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn their hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. The nations are coming to spoil Israel. They want what Israel has. Israel today is becoming a very prosperous nation because of the land. Does God also allow Satan to bring the armies together in Israel? Because Satan knows that is where the place where Jesus set up his kingdom. And he is against that. Satan is trying to do everything he can to defeat God, to keep him from setting up his kingdom here on the earth. And I believe that Satan knows what God has said in his word and that he will be defeated. It will be a matchup between God and Satan and the Antichrist there at the Battle of Armageddon. But it will not be much of a matchup with God because he will come out victoriously. So how long does this war last? I think this war is not necessarily a one-day event. The nations have been fighting for a couple of days, if not years. Remember the Bible says in Matthew 24 that there should be wars and, warmer and rumors of wars. Also in Revelation 6, it talks about the red horse comes. And it says that peace was taken from the earth, and they shall kill one another. And in Zechariah 14, 2-3, it says, For I, and we, John just read it, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses riffled, and the women ravished, and the half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go, up, go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. We see that there's a couple of things that happens before Jesus comes back. And that's why I believe this battle isn't necessarily a one-day event. When Jesus comes, that is a one-day. But they were fighting before Jesus comes. We see that the city is taken by the nations. Remember, I talked about it last time. They had Jerusalem in a siege. They surrounded Jerusalem. And they had the houses riffled. They, were, they will be plundered. They will be looted. They will take their goods out of the city. And also the women will be ravished. They will be raped. Another event that we see taking place is half of the city is taken into captivity. So yeah, I, I believe that this is something that happens more than just one day. It, it's a couple of days, if not a couple of years. And after these things take place, then Jesus will come. And like I said, I, I think the Battle of Armageddon will happen in different phases and will take some time before it is ended. And I'm sure there's maybe some of you that could teach me or explain it better to me, better than I can. Um, but if you look in Ezekiel and Daniel, there's, there's events that take place um, before Jesus comes back and nations are fighting against other nations. But when Jesus comes, the armies will not stand a chance against him and judgment will be swift and final i want to look at the, the location of the jews um, during this war we see in zechariah 14 that we see that they're in jerusalem because of the armies that surround the city 
also in other places they're at, there are Jews in the wilderness. In Matthew 24, 15 to 16, he says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, staying in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. This was to take place after the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple so that people can worship him as God. They are to flee very quickly. And also another reference to them fleeing in Revelation 12, 6, and 14. And the woman, which, and, the woman and that's speaking of the Jews, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into a place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Some of the Jews will flee to the wilderness for three and a half years and be protected and nourished there by God. In fact, God even prepares a place for them for this very purpose. Where is this wilderness at that they flee to? I think maybe Daniel 11.41 gives us a little clue where it is at. And it says, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. And the location of these places is on the south and east side of the Dead Sea, Edom, Moab, and chief in, in land of Ammon. And I could be wrong, but that's maybe a little hint that we get. So how will this war affect the Jews? It will be a time of Jacob's trouble for them. Jeremiah 30, 4-7 says, And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, ask, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands, on his loins as a woman in travail. All faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So the Jews, to them, it would be like a woman giving birth to a child. The pain that she experiences leading up to the birth. And that's the same for the Jews. They will experience great, great pain. They will have, their faces will turn pale. There will be fear in their lives, which will cause their voice to tremble. Also, two-thirds of the Jews in Israel will die, and only one-third will live because of the tribulation. Half of the city will go into captivity, and the Antichrist will take the city. And we can imagine the fear and hopelessness that this causes. In Ezekiel 37, it says that all hope is gone. They are without hope. The Antichrist will even taste victory because of what he accomplishes. So we can see, get a little bit of a picture of what um, is happening and how the Jews are, what they're experiencing. But when we think about that, God leads people to repentance when they come to the end of themselves. To them, God, me, like I said, that say they were hopeless. The only thing they had left to do was to turn to God. 
It will be like a refiner's fire for the Jews. Malachi 3, it says, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. There is pain and extreme heat in refining. It will be a time of testing for the Jews. They will come out of it pure after the Jewish rebels are taken out. I want to look now at the return of the king. When will Jesus come back to the earth? I like what it says in verse 3 of Zechariah 14. Now it talks about in verse 2 about what's all happening in Jerusalem and how um, they're being taken and being taken into captivity. But then in verse 3 it says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight. It is when um, the Jews are in hopelessness. Then is when Jesus will come down and fight. Where will Jesus land when he comes? It won't be at Weavertown Church, or in Lancaster County, or in Pennsylvania, or in the United States. It won't be there. Where will he land? It says in verse 4, he will land on the Mount of Olives. This is the exact same place where Jesus ascended into heaven, if you go to Acts 1. And I'm going to read it, um, the verse there, which talks about in Acts. And this is the angel speaking, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will come back at the same place. And just a little note about this same Jesus. The same way that Jesus looked before he left will be the same when he comes back. We will know that it is Jesus because of the nail prints in his hands and his feet. It will be a constant reminder, I believe, to us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, there are many people in our world today that claim that they are the Messiah. My friends, look at the nail prints in their hands. See if it's there. That's how we'll recognize Jesus. Also about the Mount of Olives, this is the same place where Jesus talked to his disciples about end time events in Matthew 24. And it was at the Mount of Olives where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But here he will be riding a white horse, a horse fit for a triumphant king. It was at the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed before his arrest. When Jesus comes, his feet will touch the ground. And that, I believe, speaks of ownership, of Jesus claiming what belongs to him, of setting up his kingdom here on the earth. What did God tell Joshua when he went to conquer the land. Joshua 1.3 says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Like I said, that will be the same for Jesus. When he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, he will conquer the world. It will be his. 
Turn with me to Revelation 19. I had that read last time before I preached, and I don't even think I talked at all about it. But this gives us the description of the appearance of Jesus. Revelation 19. And I'm not going to take the time to read it. I'm just going to go over it a little bit and describe um, the appearance of Jesus. But it starts out by saying that heaven will be open. Heaven is open three times in the book of Revelation. One of those times it was open for people to see into at the Ark of the Testament. And the other two times was so people could go in and out. The first time it was open, it was open so that the church could be raptured, so the church could go in to heaven. The second time that it will be open, which is in Revelation 19, is to let Jesus out with all his armies. What are some of the names that he is called here? We see that he is called faithful and true. How fitting for Jesus to be called that. The world at this time and today what we live in and also when he comes have yet to find a leader who is faithful and true to their word. The Antichrist will not fulfill or the Antichrist will not be faithful to his word. He will break his peace covenant with the Jews. He is a total opposite of truth. He is a liar. He works for Satan. Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is also called the Word of God. He is the complete and final Word of God. He is the one who was Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. God was revealed to mankind through Jesus. Another name that we see is he has a name written that no man knows but himself. What that name is exactly, I don't know. The Bible says that no man knows but himself. So it doesn't do us any good to try to figure out what it is. Another name that he has, he has a, he has a name written on his vesture, on his clothes. King of kings and Lord of lords. Today, we have many kings, but when Jesus comes, he will be the king of all kings. There will be only one king. Speaking of Lord of Lords, he is the owner. He is the one who, is, who has control of all things. So how will he dress for this battle? We see on his head, he has a crown, many crowns. He is wearing all the kingly crowns to him. He also has a vesture, is his clothes. His clothes are dipped in blood. Why is his clothes dipped in blood? Back in Exodus, the children of Israel, after they crossed the Red Sea, and they were victorious over the Egyptians, they said that the Lord is a man of war. I believe this isn't necessarily the first battle that Jesus fought in. And it is Jesus that will be in charge of the judgment. Revelation 14, 14 to 20, it describes his clothes again. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. 
Another angel came out of his temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that hath a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the wine of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And another verses that I want to read in Isaiah 63 that describes his garments. Who is this that cometh from Eden, Edom, which with dyed garments from Bozrah? This is this that is glorious in his apparel, travailing in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore art thou red in thy apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. When they made wine, they trampled on the grapes. And that will be the same way that Jesus will bring judgment. Jesus will not come till the time is ripe. He comes at the right time. I believe that speaks of the mercy of God. You know, God wants all men to be saved. God wants all men to turn to him. And when man is set in his ways and he will not repent, then he will come. I believe there's no more seekers when he comes. They're either lost or they're saved. And yeah, I could be wrong on that, but God comes at the right right time when the time is ripe when there's no more hearts that are soft it's another speaking about um the way he's dressed for battle Uh, a sword comes out of his mouth and with it he smites the nations and he will rule them rule them with a rod of iron in hebrews 4 it says that the word of god is like a sword it is considered as sharp as quick it is considered quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Is Jesus' sword here his word? I believe that it may refer to that. His word is final. There is no getting around, around it. It will bring judgment. We see that there are armies in heaven which followed him upon white horses. Who are the armies that come with him? I think they're the angels. The angels are, will go with him. Also, it's the saints, the Old Testament saints, the church, the tribulation saints. We will witness the new power coming in. We will witness the judgment taking place. We will witness Jesus setting up his, his kingdom. We will be with him. 
I want to look now at the repentance of Israel. So how will the Jews respond when they see Jesus? And I want to read some more verses from Zechariah 12, 10 to 13, 1 and verse 9. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Dadramon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shemai apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for the sin and for uncleanness. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. We see that God pours out to the Jews the spirit of grace and supplications. And the word grace and supplications means favor. Why only now, in the future time, do they get to experience this grace? Because God has blinded their eyes so that us as Gentiles can experience cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Also because they have rejected Jesus in his first coming, and God therefore made salvation available to us as Gentiles. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven to 39, speaking to the Jews, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, he's speaking to the Jews, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And this is happening at the time when Jesus comes back. Romans eleven twenty five to 27, it says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be in wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so, all, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, then, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. The time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled, will be complete at the end of the tribulation. Then God will open up their eyes. God will extend mercy to the Jews. Notice that they are mourning. They are in deep sorrow for their sins. They are in anguish. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Did Jesus have this in mind when he was talking to the disciples on the Sermon on the Mount? Maybe possibly. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, 
It says that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. God opens a fountain to cleanse their sins and uncleanness. This is a fountain, a spring of water that continues in cleansing. It's not just a sprinkle or a trickle, it's a fountain. There is life there. There is joy for the Jews. In Joel 2, 28-29, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. What is the afterward speaking about here? And it shall come, come to pass afterward. After what? After Israel's repentance, after Jesus is in the midst of them, God will pour out His Spirit on them, His Holy Spirit, that they can have power. And what is the result of the Holy Spirit entering into their, into their lives? Their sons and daughters will prophesy. Their old men will dream dreams. And their young men will see visions. And this is happening at the time of when Jesus is setting up His kingdom. Ezekiel 39, 28-29, it says, Then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them in, unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. And when we have the Holy Spirit that is a sign of being a Christian, of being a believer. God will not hide his face from them anymore. They are that could be godly. I Christ to say to the return, Christ, repentant for each one to come. Every single person in our lives, if we want to see Jesus. I'm going to close with some verses in 2 Peter 3, 10-14. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are, in, are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? What manner of persons ought ye to be? In all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for the, such things, be diligent, be diligent that ye may be found in him that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's kneel to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, that you are coming to restore this earth, set up your kingdom here, and that you will make all things right. Thank you, Lord, that today we have hope.
that we can find um, repentance, that we can find salvation. I pray, God, that you just um, help us to be diligent, looking unto you, looking unto Jesus, and that we keep our mind, our focus on you. I pray, God, that you just protect us from the evil one. I pray that you just guide and direct us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.